Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers by Conscious Discipline. I'm Latoria Marcellus. I'm a mom and an educator practicing Conscious Discipline. And I'm Amy Spidell, and I've been a, a certified instructor for a little over 20 years. Together, we're here to discuss trends and events in education and how conscious discipline impacts every aspect of what we do. So for those of you who might be new to conscious discipline, conscious discipline is an adult-first, transformational, trauma-responsive approach to self-regulation. It integrates social-emotional learning, equitable school cultures, theory, and application. Plus, there's research and brain-based practices And the fun thing about that is that when we sometimes want things to be all about me, this one's all about us as the adult. All of you have had those moments when your child has done something so amazing or your student has done something so amazing and you think, oh, look what they learned from me. And we've all had those moments when it's like, yuck, look what they learned from me. (laughs) So when we say adult first, what it really means is we, we learn all of these uh, skills and powers so that we can manage us. And then we become the model for our children to follow. We're creating the mental models for the future by examining our own now. And no wonder this is so challenging as much as it can be sometimes fun and adventurous because making that shift from all we've grown up knowing and all we've practiced prior to this really does require some creativity and thought and willingness to explore what comes next. That's right. That big shift isn't easy. I know for me, when I first heard that shift of looking at myself instead of the students that are in my room or the students or parents that I'm working with, it was kind of like, wait, what? You mean I could be the problem? I don't know what you mean. And um, just having to take an opportunity to sit with it a little bit and really focus on the things that you that you do, it, it's not an easy thing. It's challenging. And so today I'm excited because we have the opportunity to talk to Kenedria Thurman. She's a conscious discipline practitioner and a longtime um, professional on this journey. She's going to be talking to us about what it's like to really take this big shift on, whether it's in your personal life or it's in your professional life. She has had the opportunity to reach hundreds of children in the U.S. and abroad with the wonderful work that she does. She's worked with resistant teachers or administrators, and she actually has um, a school that's at a prestigious HBCU. So we are very excited today to welcome our friend Kiki to the show. Welcome, Kiki. Hi, Latoria. I was about to say, you know, it's Kiki between us, girl. We're family. So, hey, Amy. Good to see you. Oh, hello. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. you, you just took so much pressure off of me with that. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Kiki amongst my friends. And so I'll be Kiki. Uh, but yes, I am formerly known as Kenedria Thurman, and I serve as the director at Florida A&M University's Educational Research Center for Child Development here in Tallahassee, Florida. 
It's my alma mater. It's where I went for college. Um, I was in the early childhood program there. And now I get the privilege of caring for our youngest, youngest Rattlers from birth all the way up Mm -hmm. to five and even some after schoolers. You might have to explain that Rattlers word. (laughs) Yes. So on the highest of seven hills in Tallahassee, Florida is where we hail from. And so Rattler is our mascot. Um, There's a lot of myths and legends as to how we got that name to be our mascot. But what we like to say is that Rattlers will strike strike and strike again. Mm -hmm. So the same way that we take three deep breaths in conscious discipline, we know that we strike three times. And so when we call them the youngest rattlers, that's because they are born with the venom in their veins for excellence with caring. Well, I love that. That is so cool. So I understand that you're practicing conscious discipline at your school, but how exactly did you find conscious discipline in the first place? So before I um, started being a director here at Florida A&M, I was a preschool teacher. And that started in 2001. I was working at a summer day camp. And one year for the summer day camp, the director was Nicole Mercer. Let me just add this little bit of context here. Nicole Mercer is a longtime CD instructor. And so for our training, she comes in and says, we're going to learn about conscious discipline. And so I was like, okay, I'm interested in the brain. I'm interested in brain research. I'm an educator. Tell me all about it. And then she starts talking about breathing and getting in children's faces, even when they're crying, screaming and spitting. And then she lost me. (laughs) A few years later in 2006, she had the opportunity to open a preschool at her church. And she said, you know, whenever I have a school, you have a job. I was like, really? And we practice conscious discipline in our school. And I looked a little less crazy in the face at her because I could see the impact that it was making on my relationship with those children. They weren't from my community. They didn't know me. They weren't. We didn't go to the same church. We didn't know the same people. They only knew me as their teacher. And I was quite different from them. And so as we navigated different challenges and me being in the preschool space, I used those skills and really just fell in love with it at that time. And so that was my first introduction. So how did you make your way from that school with your first introduction to being the director of the child care center at FAMU? Oh, we, that's a long story, but short one word, God, because I started out as a preschool teacher and was adamant that I was always going to be a preschool teacher. And I served as one until about 2008 or nine before I started to get that itch that I need to do something different. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I took an opportunity to work in Beijing. Um, Never been on an airplane, never been anywhere else, um, holding fear with me all the way. I got on a flight and I went to Beijing and I didn't speak Mandarin. I did not know the culture very well. I just had an appreciation for it. And there was one thing that I was certain of, and that was I could teach. But there was another thing that I had in my back pocket, in my toolbox, and that that was that I was a safekeeper. And that was my main strategy that I took when I went to Beijing, because I have to teach these children how to trust me, how to have the parents to trust me in their space. And if I thought I looked different 
from the first set of children, I really was different in this culture. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. they needed to know that I was a safe person. And so I took my little safekeeper basket. I had a Snow White themed classroom because I worked for Disney. So I had my little basket and I had my Mm -hmm. little apples. And instead of having the apples fall from the tree, because they were misbehaving, I put their apples inside of my basket every day so that they knew that I was there to keep Mm. them safe. And so from there, I came back to the United States. And so I ended up being a two-year-old teacher. And as a two-year-old teacher, I realized that I really needed the powers of conscious discipline because I was full of assertive little toddlers um, who I needed to change the perception of. I didn't like it that people call my class the terrible twos. I didn't see them Mm. that way. I believed in them. I liked the name terrific twos. And so conscious discipline was something that I used to help me stay comfortable in that space. And it just went up from there. I went with my two-year-olds to the three-year-old class and then from the three-year-old class to VPK. And then my VPK year, the assistant director position became open. I shortly thereafter got promoted to be the director. And then now I have the opportunity of taking everything that I believe and love from that journey of being in that summer day camp to now transforming our school culture. So in your story, I've already heard so many shifts that you had to make. And I'm just really curious, you know, you said when Nicole Mercer told you about conscious discipline and the spitting and stuff and how you handle that, that was a shift for you. So as an as the director of a child care center, knowing conscious discipline and having it in your heart, what did that look like shifting from old to new with your staff? So one of the major ideas that I had in my mind is that Um, the way that we were doing things was working. And what I wanted to do was just introduce some things that might work for other children or for other people. When I got down on a child's level and had a conversation with them or let them tell me how they were feeling or what they were thinking, um, sometimes I was perceived as babying them um, or letting them get away with something. And that was something I wanted to shift immediately because again, I want to be trusted in this space and I don't want Mm -hmm. people to think that I'm going to, um, ill prepare their children for the world because I'm doing something wrong to them. But instead I was trying to build relationships. And I thought that that's always been important for all educators. And what I noticed is that we just built relationships differently. Everyone had the same value of building relationships with the families and the children. It was just the way that I did it might've looked Mm -hmm. new. And so that Mm -hmm. shift first looked like me being what I wanted to see. And while I was being that, I had to be okay with being judged or not being liked very much because the way I was doing it was a new perspective. Um, That also meant that I had to be honest and really open Mm -hmm. with other people who were doing it the way that they were doing it so we could understand each other. If they felt like they could trust me and I wasn't judging them, then my hope was that maybe they would judge me a little bit less and see what I was doing as as valuable as they wanted to Mm -hmm. see their work. I also had the unique opportunity of grooming some teachers from the ground up. They came to me as freshmen. Can you believe that? Students who just wanted to work part-time, who just wanted to be here for a little while, conscious discipline became their first teaching language. And so being socially and emotionally sound as college students um, was something that they were very invested in. And it became a part of, you know, their teaching toolbox from the ground up. 
And I got to tell you, too, I just talked with a teacher who just started this year, which is a crazy time to start any teacher right. career. And one of the things she said was, I, I, I don't remember anything in my school experience that prepared me for the behavior side, uh, you know, kind of that classroom culture side of how to do that. So how cool that they were able to be exposed to that before they actually even moved into the teacher role to have that as their guide. Wow. That's the model. Yeah. That's what we need. <laughs> How do you see conscious disciplines like spilling over to your parents? It sounds like you've done an excellent job of building up this school family when it when it comes to those who you work with. But what does that look like for those who are coming to you all? I think a lot of times as preschool people, we have relationships with parents where it's like, you know, they don't do that for me at home, but they'll do it for Miss mm -hmm. So-and-so or, you know, Miss So-and-so can ask them to do X and they'll just do it. And so we were getting a lot of that already because this school is rich in legacy, right? It's been around for over mm -hmm. 30 years. So what happened was the social and emotional, emotional part is already in our mission. What we did was just enhance the work that we were doing. So families started to see that whole child perspective in very, very young children because we didn't have infants and toddlers before I came. And so when I brought in the birth to two population, as their children grew up and they got to the two and the three and the four-year-old classrooms, those parents are starting to hear their children use language like, I don't like it when so-and-so hits me. And mommy, I have a brain in my head and my brain allows me to stop and to think. And it's like, oh, they're really learning something in that school. Wow. And so it kind of was like a word of mouth thing. And as they started to have conflicts or issues, they would say, well, Miss Thurman, can you tell me a little bit how to handle this? Because I want to try what y'all are doing at school. And so they started asking for workshops. They started asking for strategies, for trainings, for tools and resources. And so it, it basically just kind of birthed itself. But it really and truly, um, I believe, is a credit to that zero to two range who grew up our children with conscious discipline as their first language. Mm -hmm. You know, that's so interesting that they, uh, that you came at it from a professional point of view. You know, you heard about conscious discipline from a professional point of view. They heard about conscious discipline from a school view, but they moved into a much more personalized home view. So did you notice something that was, you know, like resistant to change? Like that's, you know, maybe I'll change all of these kinds of concepts around what I'm learning, but that one, I'm hanging on to that one. Was there anything that you felt either for you or perhaps uh, some of your families or your staff? It's like conscious discipline is fine, but. <laughs> Definitely. So there is a balance, right? And that is where it gets a little bit tricky because our families gave us the freedom to practice, but there were some times where, you know, we would see a parent standing on the background like, I'm going to let y'all handle this. But if she swing her arm one more time, mommy is taking over and she's going with me. There was this one situation where we had a child who um, the parent was not OK with the amount of accidents that they were having. And so she mm -hmm. decided, well, I'm just not going to supply the extra change of clothes. If I don't provide the extra change of clothes, then they won't have an accident. Or if they have an accident, then they'll need me. And then uh -huh. I'll come and then I'll get to say what I want to say when the accident happens, as opposed to whatever y'all are doing, because quite possibly whatever y'all are saying is causing the accident, you see, because y'all aren't yeah, doing something right. Something's not right. 
she shouldn't be having these accidents. And so they resisted the fact that the child was just going through a bit of a phase Mm -hmm. and just having a hard time remembering to stop playing and go to the bathroom. And so they withheld the clothes and I called and I said, hey, um, so I noticed that so-and-so was dropped off today and they didn't have an extra change of clothes. I know. And if they have an accident, I want y'all to call me. And I was like, so we're we're not going to call you when they have an accident. Um, but what we will do is ask you to go ahead and come on and bring the clothes so we can have them with us now. You know, and that went against what they really wanted to do. And so uh, it was yeah. a jokey moment. They brought the clothes. And when they brought the clothes, what they said to us was, all I want to do is be sure that my child is not getting away with something. I don't want them thinking that they could keep doing something and get away with it. I believe that they have the skills to go potty. And what I reminded them of is that even though we always have the skills, we might not always be able to access them and use them. And if we keep punishing for not having the clothes by not letting them be here, then we might see a harder you know, time for this child to get right. it. And that was just something really small, you know, in just a mindset thing that we had to resist um, the way that the parent wanted to do it. And they were resisting the moment as it was. Accidents will happen. Yeah, Please yeah, provide right, the clothes. Right it would be harder to get them to see the shift if we condemn them for doing things the way they've always done them. We want them to be open to a new perspective, not just stop what they're doing and then try something different. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, how about you? Did you notice any shifts? That, you know, I mean, I know for me when, when you know, my friends kind of know what I do and it's like, oh, you know, shouldn't you be doing this or doing that? Uh, like, did you notice that that also spilled into your personal life? Oh, definitely. Um, so I've been a preschool teacher for over 20 years and I try to practice conscious discipline as best I can in my classroom, right? Because everybody has these days. And then I just kind of go, oops, didn't really work out the way I wanted to that day. I'll try it again tomorrow, set the energy for a new day. But once I go home and I get to my couch and the day is over, I am not really the best version of myself, right? And then the sun showed its beautiful, beautiful, shiny face and said, now you get to practice conscious discipline in your house because two children are going to live with you and they're not going to leave at five o'clock and they're not going to be picked up every weekend. You're going to have them around the clock. And wait a minute, if that's not enough, Here's a pandemic. Now you can't go anywhere but home. (laughs) You can't move off anywhere else and expect anybody else to have them. You get to do it. So I got to see a shift in my mindset of you do things one way in public and you do them a different way at home. Instead, Mm. it became something that was cohesive and who I was had to be consistent. Oh, wow. You had two little ones who came home with you and they stayed with you. So what what was that looking like for the three of you in your home? Very exhausting. <laughs> very, very, very silly. Very, very serious. And then mm. also times a lot of healing and repair. And mm. um, so it started out when they were about two and four. And at that point, it was kind of easy because they're little. And so you kind of know what you signed up for. They're young children. You make the sacrifices. You do what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And when they go to bed at nine, you also have gone to bed too (laughs) and nothing gets 
And so that was the journey. Two and four is your wheelhouse. So no wonder. Yeah. Right. Except the two-year-old would not go to sleep. And so I had to physically lay down and be in the bed at times when I was not tired, not sleepy. I've done my bedtime ritual. I've done the story, go to sleep child so I can go do my work or clean up or get ready for tomorrow. And we were not seeing eye to eye with that. And it was getting very, very frustrating. And so naturally I'm hearing, you know, what would happen in my family? Like you go to sleep or we go help you go to sleep. And the way we help you go to sleep, you know, it's, the, it's that <laughs> cry all the way until you fall asleep, right? And then somebody later comes and right. hugs you and apologizes and then makes up for whatever made you cry hysterically. But I did not want to do it that way. Instead, I wanted to try to connect. But it, it just wasn't coming to me because I kept hearing it in the back of my mind. Go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help you sleep. All right now, you know, one more, mm-hmm. one more minute and I'm going to help you sleep. And so um, when I would talk to my family about it, I would talk to my friends about it. I'm like, I don't know what it is. Like she takes a nap at school, but just trying to get her to lay down and go to bed is so hard. And I could tell like, you know, she misses her mom and she wants to snuggle and cuddle. But then other times she doesn't want me. She just kind of wants me in the room and to be around. And it was really, 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 really tough because the voice was so loud. Um, and I had a roommate. And so sometimes the voice would not just be in my head it would be on the (laughs) door like girl you better do something about that you know and so it's kind of tough right so we started doing I love you rituals and wonderful woman was what we used Mm -hmm. to go to sleep and she would do one hand the other hand both hands it took three times before she would finally calm down and that was one of the times where I was like okay I can handle this. That that voice was real loud, but I overcame it. Man, and as much as we can say that we want to go from old to new, it's hard to go from old to new. So, you know, I mean, you have to give something up to move from old to new. Yeah. 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 So I started my conscious discipline journey in 2017, and my son was three. And um, I can remember it like it's yesterday. We're on the front porch, right? And Sean, he's he's just messing around, and I keep telling him, "Okay, boo, sit on the couch, you know, sit on the sw- glider with mommy, sit on the glider with mommy." And he just would not do it. And it was one of those days where I had just had enough, and I like took my finger and I like popped him on his shoulder, like I said, "Stop it," you know. And I thought. Oh, I just really messed that up real bad. So, you know, I go, well, Sean, I was really frustrated when I asked you to sit on the couch and you wouldn't sit. And he looks me dead in my eyes. He goes, and I was really frustrated when you popped me on my shoulder. You know, so it's like we all have these moments where we oops, but you can't give up, you know? So I'm like, I I had to swallow that one. And I was like, you're absolutely right. Mommy had no business not keeping her hands to herself. I should have used my words to tell you what um, would have worked best for me, you know, as we are, you know, trying to sit on the porch and chill out. So that just makes me think, you know, to myself, what kind of oopses have you run into? And it it might have been, you know, semi-traumatic like mine with Sean, where the three-year-old had to check me. But uh, what did you run into that you thought, man, I really could have did that differently, but you didn't let it defeat you? 
Well, um, as I said before, you know, I had the opportunity to bring children home with me. And so sometimes things would happen at school um, that would affect me or impact me. And then I had to go home and still be gaudy and be on as a godparent. And um, this particular day, it was because of something that my goddaughter had done. And I thought that I was composed, right? So I just kept my mouth closed and I get in the car mm-hmm. and everybody's in. I'm like, get in, put your seatbelts on real tight lipped. I get in the car and I'm driving and she goes, Gotti, are you angry with me? Mm-hmm. No, I'm not angry with you. And she says, your face doesn't look like it. And mm-hmm. I looked up at myself in my rearview mirror and I had the meanest scour wow. on my face. And I was driving home like that. So everybody I passed probably was like, oh, let me get out of her way. Let me let her go by. <laughs> um, but more importantly, this child, this child was mm-hmm. seeing me look at her that way. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to uh, be intentional about not bringing home what happened at school. Um, but that day I had failed at it and I lied straight mm-hmm. to her face and said, I'm not yeah. angry with you. And clearly my face said, I am angry with you. And so I I let that moment kind of, you know, dissipate. And it happened again. And when it happened the next time, um, I caught myself and I was like, it's not okay to lie to her and say that yeah. you're not angry with her when you really are feeling mm-hmm. angry. That's going to teach her to deny her feelings or to say that she's not feeling what she's feeling because she's afraid of maybe making someone else uncomfortable. And at that point I had been called out about it twice. So like you, Latoria, being checked by a three-year-old doesn't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> it it ain't easy. Two oh, times, I'm like, okay, golly. All right. So yes, um, I am feeling angry. I'm not angry with you. I just don't like what happened. And I really want, you know, us to have a great day when we go home. But this is happening at school. And it's really hard for me to shift um, from school to home. And and I kind of was wearing it on my face. And so she said, maybe you should take a deep breath. (laughs) And I was (laughs) like, okay, sis, you're pushing it with the advice because I'm right. right? And so my oops is that. I was lying about my feelings and Mm. um, I was doing so in a way that I thought was helpful by not just exploding on her or telling her how I felt and drilling her. But instead, um, it was hurtful for me to not be honest about how I was feeling, because I'm sure Mm. that the other time when I didn't come out of it, I'm sure it trickled into the evening. I'm sure it probably boiled over into the morning. And so this time I wanted to just be conscious that. Tell her the truth. Tell her the truth and tell her mm-hmm. how you feel. She can handle it and she could. And Kiki, when you think about what she has as a lasting and and Latoria for you too, as the lasting message of that rather than the beginning message of that. Like did it did it seem as if there was something that she picked up maybe that wouldn't have happened without you making the mistake? Definitely. Um She was very much the type of child when she got upset, she would internalize her upset. You know, she's dealing with the fact that she doesn't get to see her biological parents every day. And so sometimes she would put on a happy face until she just couldn't handle it anymore. And that feeling of I miss my mommy, I miss my daddy would ooze out. And so it was definitely contributing 
to that in a hurtful way by me not being honest about my feelings. Yeah. And so once I noticed that I started to open up and rewrite my own CD-ROM and share how I felt, then I was allowing her to see that. And she definitely did. She became much more vocal about how she was feeling and, and when she was upset. She And it happened at a time where her vocal skills were also going with her language development. As much as she could talk, she was learning words. She was experiencing new things and she was able to express it in a very helpful way. Um, and, and now she's seven. And I mean, I would put her on top of a mountain and just let her tell you all her business because she will. <laughs> she will. Now, when you're doing all of this, it's not like you're doing it in isolation. Like you said, you had a roommate, you have family members who are coming by. And a lot of times our family members don't necessarily know what the new way is, mm -hmm. you know, and um, we can't throw a whole bunch of shade at the old way because it got us to be the people who we are today. Hello. You know, so what is that conversation when you're trying to do something a little bit different? And, you know, I always tell people yeah, right. it's not that I'm doing it better than what you did. It's just different right. than what you did. So how did those adults in your life handle that when they see you with these two young young children trying it a different way? Definitely. So I'm going to tell you what the new way looks like now, and I'm going to contrast that mm -hmm. for you. So the new way okay. is that uh, my mother just attended a conscious discipline workshop, <laughs> sat in the front, <laughs> participated, and actually wow. text me about how thrilled she was to be there and receive mm. information. Now, on the other side, when <laughs> I first started to expose myself, right, and share uh -huh. with them, well, this is what I learned. And th so this is why we do this. And did you know this about your brain? And did you know this about children when I was doing that? <laughs> At the entry level, mm -hmm. I got a I bet you got a girl. Girl, if you're going to sit outside, <laughs> nobody want to hear that. You know? Right, and, and right. Ooh, she done got a degree. <laughs> now she thinks she finna come and tell us how to do this. We've been raising children our whole lives, and now here she comes. We changed your diapers. We changed your diapers, and now you're going to tell us what to do, right? You know, or you got whooped, and you was all right, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to that a and I'm like, actually, I didn't. I barely got whooped, to be honest with you. But I'll let y'all believe that y'all did it. You know, it was more of some fussing and some yelling, which I still have to work on. But um, initially, it was just like, girl, please. And then it kind of became, you don't do that to me. When they realized mm -hmm. what I was doing, if I would try to calm a situation or be composed, like, don't don't try to do that to me, especially my mom. Don't try to use that conscious discipline stuff on me. Mm -hmm. And then once the children started to live with me and they started to see me regularly be a parent in this space to them, they started to say things like, I get it. I see mm -hmm. the product you know, that you are trying to produce. I see what it is because they were already beautiful children. They were born beautiful. They were born amazing. Mm -hmm. They have amazing parents who birthed them. But what they were seeing was their growth with yeah. me and the skills of conscious discipline that I was building in them, their ability to handle an upset, their ability to be able to bring people together, even as children, 
They, they're all about unity. Um, and they also have the ability to be able to handle consequences. They're children who they, it doesn't take a lot to redirect them because they understand that if you come at them with good intention, they're ready to receive it and they're ready to move forward. And as my family saw that in these children, they were like, okay, we're going to give her a little less of a hard time because <laughs> they're turning out okay too. And so once they were able to see what I was doing wasn't producing some heathen type children, then they were yeah, able to yeah. just go, okay, yeah. different is okay. It's not what I would have done. Probably still not going to do it, but I appreciate what you're doing. I see how you're doing mm-hmm. it and I respect it. And to me, that's what wow. the old and the new is really all about because we have to coexist together. We don't wipe out the elder generation so that the mm-hmm. new generation can come and exist. We have to live here together. And as you said so beautifully, Latoria, the old way was a lot of what got us to where we are today. Right. So the new way uh, has to exist in a hybrid environment where we can balance that out and be able to move into the future. And as somebody who's the older way, uh, is older than both of you, I got to say that, uh, you know, just making the change enough to raise human beings that had a consciousness enough to be who you are. And uh, every part of your story, Kiki, is really about that statement, be the change you want to see in the world, that you modeled it. And, you know, when we try to give the information, right, and bang people over the head with it, they resist it. But when they Mm. see it, it warms their heart. And you brought that to your staff, to your families, and to your personal family. That is quite the journey. It is. And my mom said to me after the workshop, um, a while ago, you told me that you were serious about breaking generational curses and you wanted to do something different for our family. And she said, I really see it. I feel it. And I'm so Mm. proud of you for doing it. And that was like everything to me because I did mean it when I said it, but at the time I was still getting that girl, please, girl, please. And now Mm -hmm. it's more of, I see it and I get it. And that means that she's got to do a whole lot of repair with me as she sees things. And we've already started some of that work and we are already unpacking it, right? Talking about the old and talking about the new and, and really just figuring out how we move forward together in that. Because at some point she's got to be a grandma. And I told her, I was mm. like, you got to have a little bit of me and you if my kids going to be able to come over there. Like you can't be having them standing in the corner like you're having us doing. You can't do that to my kids. They need a safe place. And she's like, I, okay, fine. I'll get a safe place. You know, I'll do these things and we are coming to a common ground. But my grandma, on the other hand, my grandma's like, listen, y'all better tell them kids to go sit down somewhere. And that's the end of that. So, I mean, depending on how far back you go in my family, you still have some resistance of girl, please. But right now, between the, the mom and me level, we're just talking in a way that I don't think we ever have before. And that's really eye opening um, for me about how the old and the new can exist together. And the old, for for just what it sounds like for your mom, the old is making way for the new to have its space to live right. and breathe. Right. Brilliant of her as well. 
Now, there are a lot of people who are out there listening to us today, and I'm sure there are some teachers who are looking into making this shift from the old to the new, but it's not smooth. It's It can be scary. And a lot of times we're just afraid of messing up. Yeah. So what words of advice or encouragement would you give to those who are out there make, looking to make this shift when it comes to, um, I call it like the power of the oops, yeah. what would you tell them? I would say exactly what you just said, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> and and only because I just heard it. I took notes and no, I'm just kidding. I would say <laughs> that um, in the power of your oops, You want to just be gracious to yourself and to others. Mm. When you are trying to make this shift and you're trying to do things differently than the way you've always done it, sometimes the old is going to come back up and it's just going to be like toothpaste. Once it comes out that Mm. tube, it cannot go back in. And so you can spend your time trying to scoop up all of that toothpaste and push it back into that tube. Where you could clean up that toothpaste, throw it away, and go back with the rest of that mm. tooth that's left over and squeeze yeah. out a little bit more in an intentional and in a more purposeful way so mm-hmm. that you can repair whatever has been done or so that you can have a conversation that needs to be had where people can learn and grow from it. And so when you do that, that allows people around you to feel like it's okay for them to make mistakes, but it also frees you of the burden for yourself Mm -hmm. to keep holding yourself accountable for what you are changing. Sometimes we want to be the change we wish to see period right now. And that's the end of it. That's right. But we are changing and ever evolving Mm -hmm. people. And so therefore you might not have it today, but you're going to have it a little bit more tomorrow and maybe a little bit more. And hey, you might do what they do in church. You might backslide, but you bring it right, right on back right. up, right? Because yeah. that's what life is all about. It's about learning and growing and making mistakes. And we can only learn and grow if we make the mistakes. If we are too hard on ourselves and we don't allow ourselves to make those mistakes, then we cut off our opportunities to really see the chance for growth. When you are trying and other people don't receive it, the way that you Mm -hmm. want it to be received, or they don't see the work that you're doing, just remember that they're on their own journey too. And it's not up to them to validate your growth and your practice. Keep practicing, Mm -hmm. trying, and can't nothing hold you back. Wow. That was words of wisdom, Kiki. And thank you for sharing that with our audience. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with us today so that we can hear all about shifting from the old to the new. It's um, something that all of us try to do on a daily basis. And hearing your story is going to give a lot of people fuel to keep on believing that they can, even when they might run into a oops. Absolutely. And thank you all so much for this opportunity to talk and share together. I've enjoyed this conversation um, and I'm really looking forward to connecting um, with more people who are on this journey, who are on this shift. So if there's anything that I can do to be of service for those who are out there, just hit up your girl Kiki and we'll figure some things out. You know, Amy, it's 
it can be hard sometimes to shift without disrespecting the things that you learned from beforehand. It's not an easy thing to do because sometimes when you when you're talking to parents and grandparents and you tell them you want to do something differently, it can kind of be one of those things of, so are you telling me I didn't do it right? Yep. You know, and, and that can be a difficult conversation to have. And I've had those conversations since I am a grandparent. And I think the mindset shift, when we really talk about how conscious discipline is this mindset shift, that idea that somehow my kids should do it the same as I did it, doesn't really fit with the growth that we have in every other part of their life. We want them to grow. And when you see your own kids choose to speak differently to their kids or to respond differently to disappointment or frustration, uh, there's a there's a joy that can happen in that to say, um, maybe I didn't know how to do that exactly when I was raising them, but clearly I gave them some message that said, uh, be, be brave and look for what is going to be best for you rather than follow in the steps that I set out um, that, that I wanted to be brave, but I, I set you flying into that bravery um, instead. And I, um, so many experiences I had with my son in particular, where he would say, mom, this is what you're, this is what you're showing me. This is what you're teaching me. And I would think, oh, really? I taught you to, <laughs> to speak up for yourself. How did that happen? Uh, but it is, it's that, it's that realization that we're, um, that we're allowing our next generation to be free of the baggage that we carried um, for them. And now we're letting them set it down. Mm -hmm. And when we really think about what Kiki was talking to us about, you know, and all of the shifting, when you're trying to bring people along with you on this journey, it isn't a conversation of what well, you used to do stinks and you should never do that again. Instead, it's more of a conversation of, hey, why don't you try this? It may be new, but it might be something that works for you a little bit better than what you did before. Or, you know, it's just something different that you can try and, you know, see how it feels to you when you step into it. Um, when I think about all of the places where I worked before, you know, I, I could be like, I'll never do that again. This was horrible, you know, but instead I try to pick out the pieces that were good and then add them to the new stuff that I know how to do. And once you get that combination together, you'll find something that works not only for you, you know, as the adult or as the educator, but it works for your children and for your families too. Right. When you just see the best out of all of those pieces, instead of focusing on what's not going well. And Latoria, I think you just hit on uh, the question that we received. And every time we want to kind of look at a question that someone sends in, and so uh, when Michelle in Orlando sent a question about what do you do if you're the only teacher in your school practicing CD, I think you just nailed what that looks like. It's that idea of being a model without feeling like you need to be a preacher. 
Mm-hmm. And when when you respond to teachers, not with, uh, well, I learned to stop doing that, but noticing, um, wow, that's similar to what I'm learning. And I found out that the reason that we might want to do more of that is because this helps kids uh, invest more in their own growth. Or mm-hmm. um, I found out that, you know, if I breathe first, it really helps me. Um, be able to calm enough that I can speak more responsibly the way I always have wanted to. And so I think what you said is just so true for every teacher out there that can feel so alone in that shift, that all you're doing is helping other people see how many things we already do. It's just that Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't know the why of it. So it gets lost in how many other things we have as obligations. And if we can just stay focused on that, this is why I want to take this moment. This is why I want to breathe. Then the change starts happening because people say, I noticed you did this before that happened. What was that about? And I'm going to say for every teacher out there that feels like you're alone, number one, you're not. This is happening in so many places in this world. And number two The example that you're bringing every time one person just wants to look at one part of their life in a slightly um, just broader way or freer way, uh, how many children's lives are impacted because of that one shift that one teacher makes. So yay for you for being that beginner piece in the place where you live. And while we had the chance to talk to Kiki, she mentioned using I love you rituals with the children that were living with her at the time. And for those of you who might be out there and you need to shift from I told you to go to bed to something to trying something a little bit different. um, I love you rituals are something that you might want to check out. So just to think about what an I love you ritual is, it's it's kind of what it sounds like. It's a way of uh, having those uh, those steady moments that kids can count on. So it's their little rhymes. And uh, unlike some of the nursery rhymes that some of us grew up with that are uh, uh, rather scary, like the old woman who lives in a, lived in a shoe and couldn't manage herself at all, uh, these have been written so that they're calming and they're loving. But mostly uh, they're about that eye contact and playfulness in a, in a relationship. And so when you think about some of those moments, like uh, Latoria just said about, you know, like I told you to go to bed, it's a great way for a child to like fall to sleep with the loving uh, yelling of their family in their ears. And this way, it's the great way of falling to sleep, knowing that you've been held and uh, just played, you know, just that little playfulness uh, before the end of a day. The other really Mm -hmm. nice thing about them is they're really short. So you can do them anytime. You can do them at bedtime, but you can also do them as you're saying goodbye at the door or as uh, as they're you know going off to spend a weekend with uh, you know a friend or a relative, so lots of ways for these um, to happen in your life. So I love your rituals; they are the glue that hold families together, and they are also the glue that helps classrooms grow. We definitely have some celebrating to do this summer. On our list of celebrations, we have to give a shout out for all the summer events that have just kicked off. 
We just wrapped up session A of our summer institutes in Orlando, Indianapolis, Melbourne, Baltimore, and Pasadena, Texas to great success. This summer, we'll be hosting 12 summer institutes and eight contracted academies. So that means that we have the ability to positively impact the lives of over 3,000 educators who will then impact thousands of children all around the world. And those families as well. I mean, it just goes on and on, doesn't it? Once you start that ball rolling, wow. And we also want to have, uh, we want to give some wish wells. Uh, one is to the continued health and well-being for Kim Jackson mm-hmm. and just uh, so many beautiful things happening in her recovery. So we just want to uh, continue to send out that wish well. Um, certainly to all the people who are traveling to and from different CD events this summer and for the health and well-being of all the uh, instructors, uh, you know, just putting in a plug for me too. Uh, and um, just again, for, for, our, for our world and for the children in our world, and in particular, uh, when we really think about how this school year ended in such pain for uh, those families in Uvalde, but also the ripple effect of that and just continuing to wish the growth of our country well and to know that teachers are making that difference because our children are counting on us to bring healing to uh, to our hearts and to give wisdom to our decision making. And we've got this in us. So just truly, truly wishing every single adult well as we take on this task of bringing a better world to our families and our children. You know, Amy, thank you for reminding us that we really are all in this together. And as we prepare to go through the week or through the next day, we want all of you to know that from our hearts to yours, we wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.